You know, in movies where it turns out the scrappy young hero had the power to succeed inside themselves all along, they just had to learn how to harness it? It turns out this is more than just a storytelling trope. It can also be true for communities recovering from disaster. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor. Stepping up onto our soapbox for science today is Celeste Young. She's been researching how communities in Gippsland, Victoria, have recovered from bushfires and COVID and the lessons they hold for future disaster recovery. Planning for recovery before disasters occur. I think I've always had an obsession with risk. When I was little and Doctor Who came on, I used to go towards the television when the Daleks came on while my sisters went back out the door. I wanted to know how it worked. I wanted to know what it did. And some years ago, after I came out of the arts, I was working in private industry. And I was running a volunteer network for climate change with no money. So I went to the research sector as a source of knowledge and I realised really quickly that we had a problem. There were bits missing out of the research process because much as it was interesting, we couldn't apply it. And we desperately needed this knowledge and the researchers desperately wanted us to use their knowledge. So I started digging around a bit and I realised there was four key bits that we needed to really think about in the process. What was often missing was the local knowledge and expertise of the context in which people needed to use this. The knowledge needed to be developed so it could be embedded in decision making. The third was that there was no point in looking at an issue from just one perspective. And the fourth one and the most important one was communication. Essentially, when I first brought researchers into the private industry to talk with people, I remember one of the directors saying, oh, he's an awfully nice bloke, but he's terribly uncertain. And what he hadn't realised is the scientist was talking about uncertainty. And I had to explain that it was a different type of language. It meant something quite different. So I realised that essentially if you stuck a bunch of very different disciplines in a room, that you would end up being in the middle of an Italian opera, essentially, where you kind of knew what was going on, but the detail eluded you. So that's why I developed this process. It's transdisciplinary, which means we blend knowledge. And it's essentially, at times, quite a confusing and uncomfortable process because you start from a point of it's what you don't know is the most important thing. So we always start with a conversation and by listening. And today I'm going to be talking about our most recent conversation, which was with some people in Gippsland who'd been directly and indirectly affected following the Black Summer bushfires, and also people who worked closely with them. We were having this conversation during the three months of the COVID lockdown and also the month afterwards, so it's very reflective of that time. What we wanted to understand was how the community experienced their strengths and capabilities during the time since the fires and during their recovery. So why strengths? Why not vulnerability? Well, there are different needs that arise during a disaster process. When the event's happening, you focus on making people safe. So you need to focus on who's vulnerable and how to protect them. But when you're focusing on recovery, you need to focus on strength and you need to build out from there to provide a foundation for regrowth and also to support vulnerability. 
As we progressed this conversation, what we found was that this recovery has been a really different experience for these communities from their previous experiences of bushfires. And this is because of two things. One thing is the nature of the bushfire was really different. It was much more intense, it burnt for longer. In some areas it burnt in and out, but I spoke to one person where they were under threat for six weeks. And as they said, there wasn't one day to say that the fire's finished, we've got to start recovering. It was a continual process. The other aspect was that when they came out and started recovering, connecting with each other and making sense, COVID hit. And what that did was that disrupted the whole process that they'd established for themselves as communities, and they had to rethink where they were. The restrictions actually hothoused some of the impacts from the fires. They increased the community's sense of isolation and some areas of trauma. It particularly impacted emotional stamina and also financial resources in many communities. But conversely, it also led to a growth of new strengths and capabilities in some areas. Some people developed new ways of making sense through sharing their stories online or making art. Other people expanded their networks beyond their communities online to share their stories with them. And there was also a growth of new leadership capability with new leaders emerging in different ways. But as we dug down, we realised that strengths and capabilities are very nuanced. Each community had its own culture. But they were also like an iceberg in that you could see some of them. But the most important ones were often hidden under the surface. These are the ones that held communities together and formed their social fabric. It was attributes such as generosity and kindness that came up as some of the most important things that support the resilience of these communities. So why are these so invisible? It's a good question. Because there are layers of invisibility with this. We found strengths and capabilities with diverse cohorts in communities, which sometimes the communities themselves weren't aware of. So some examples were that those who identify as having a disability actually have areas of skill in dealing with bureaucracy because it's part of ensuring their livelihood. Faith-based groups have rituals and artists' processes which help people work through highly difficult emotions associated with loss and grief. Farmers have knowledge of biohazard management, which is extremely useful during COVID. Long-term residents also have a wealth of knowledge about their communities, the environment they live in, and also the previous natural hazards in the process of recovery. Some of this knowledge is intergenerational, and in the case of the Indigenous land management, it goes back over 60,000 years. So why again is this beneath the water? Well, it's because very little is formalised or included in formal emergency management planning. It's often shared through storytelling, community gatherings, and sometimes weaving circles in terms of the Indigenous communities, and even at pubs or through art and books. But that doesn't mean that they're not structures around this knowledge or how it can be shared or who it should be shared with. The invisibility goes further. It's also reflected in local economies in rural and regional areas where many of the aspects of responses and recovery rely heavily on volunteering, which again is invisible because it's not part of formal planning. This tends to lead to it being seen as of less value and sometimes discounted, which is unfortunate. But there are other aspects that lead to this invisibility. 
because there needs to be a level of trust for people in communities to feel comfortable with sharing this information. And they also need to feel that they maintain their ownership over their knowledge. But it's really, really critical to planning for recovery. It's important to understand how communities communicate and the social structures and capabilities that lie with them so that support can be tailored and accommodated to specific community needs. So for example, during the COVID restrictions, the majority of communication went digital, but there are areas, particularly in East Gippsland in the more remote areas that actually have appalling digital infrastructure. And in some cases, there was a lack of technical capability with some digital skills. And also the primary form of communication for many people is face-to-face. So that meant that people found it very hard to access programs. Someone who identified as having a disability also shared with me that visually impaired people find apps very hard to read. This sort of information is absolutely vital, particularly when you're in a crisis, you don't want to be trying to find this information with people because they're actually just surviving. You need to establish these relationships prior to that and have that knowledge available. Recovery is really a long-term prospect. It's intrinsically human and it's really imperfect. In the case of this very different recovery, it's meant that communities, government and agencies have been building the bridges they are crossing it and in some cases a few bricks have been dropped. But that's because everyone is learning as they go. But if we're going to get to the other side of this, we need to keep building new ways of working and systems to support this. And this is no small task. It requires maintaining long-term relationships and trust between uneasy alliances so they can have difficult conversations and develop shared understandings and expectations. It also requires greater flexibility and agility so that local intelligence can be captured and responded to as situations change and new needs arise. In the past, local knowledge has often existed in its own community ecosystem. And whilst most communities were able to rebuild themselves following events, that was seen as enough. But now we live in times of change, with cascading and unprecedented events increasing. And we can't assume how events or recovery from them will play out. We have to be more inclusive and we have to open out knowledge. Communities are the human face of the emergency management system. They tell us what is working, what is not working, and what is needed to make it work. We need to plan for recovery before these events occur so communities can lead with their strengths and capabilities. And that way, we can all listen and learn with them as they rebuild and grow. Thank you. That was Celeste Young, who researches building strength and capability at Victoria University, speaking at our Occam's Razor live event at Federation University in Gippsland earlier this year. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host. Be prepared for another instalment from the world of scientific thought next week. <laughs>